that tolerance for ambiguity, the ability to be able to operate when the risk might outweigh the reward is uh, a place that I've been a lot in my life. Picture the riverboat gambler. He's a guy that will bet it all and wink and be charming until the last card is turned over, knowing if it's the wrong card, he's going to get thrown in the river off the boat. Now, he'll be his best at that time. Welcome to SC Featured. I'm Jen Latta. That is Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, who has proudly and at times defiantly stood at the center of the NFL universe for almost 30 years. Now, one of pro football's Mavericks is headed to the Hall of Fame. ESPN senior NFL reporter Jim Trotter recently sat down with Jones in his office, on the road, and in the air to gain some insight on the ever-confident businessman. Give me an example, non-football example, of the last time you failed in a business decision. Oh boy, I need to get my legal pad out and I'll show you two or three legal pads of times that I've failed. I'm very active uh, in oil and gas and I drill a lot of wells. In that area, you have price risk, geological risk. That's what's 10,000 feet deep. Only God really knows what's down there. Picture two phones on your desk and picture having the phone in your right ear talking to someone about a new prospect. You're sold on it. You're enthused. You get a call with the phone on your left and you put this one on hold and pick that up and you've just been told you got a dry hole. You busted. You put that down, pick this one back up without your voice breaking, and go on and immediately start right back into talking about the new deal. That experience in oil and gas and, frankly, business really prepared me for the NFL and football. The Dallas Cowboys were sold tonight to an Arkansas oil millionaire. I'm putting on the line everything I have done for 25 years on the line. And I know I'm out here in the front now, and I know it's visible, and I'm going to give it my best shot for the Dallas Cowboys to be a winner. In 1989, Jerry Jones paid more than $140 million for the Dallas Cowboys franchise. But that didn't guarantee immediate success on the field. The Cowboys finished 1-15 in his first year, and fourth in the five-team NFC East to second season. Worse, they were losing a million dollars a month by his count. I was very aware that I was dancing with the devil, financial devil. It was traumatic. If I were ho- trying to hold a glass of water with you, I would spill it if I were holding it with both hands. I knew that if I messed this up, that I was going to be known as a failure probably for the rest of my life. Three Super Bowl rings later, Jones will be immortalized in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. It's been a long journey from Little Rock, Arkansas, and he knows who to thank for all his success. Dad and mother were, uh, at the time, young entrepreneurs. And sitting around the table, I got such an education And these little ears would be sitting over there listening about how they were going to meet their payrolls, how they were going to buy a new piece of equipment for their retail uh, grocery market. And we live right above the store. 
and I saw them work through entrepreneurial challenges. Pat and Armenta Jones were big personalities who understood the art of the sell. Son Stephen Jones, an executive with the Cowboys, sees the similarities between his father and his grandfather. His father was an amazing salesman. They called him the incredible Mr. Jones. So, uh, you know, that was kind of the tone setter, I think, for Jerry. I saw my father have amateur talent contests in the middle of the store just to entertain the customers as they came through the door. My mama stood me outside when I was nine and ten with a little bow tie on, and I'd greet those customers there with a smile, and I was coached up how to do that. Jones learned that how you do something is as important as what you do. Give people a warm smile, an enthusiastic handshake, and some intensely positive words, and they're more likely to give you a signature on the dotted line or some urgency in the fourth quarter. Just ask two of Jones's biggest stars in Dallas, Michael Irvin and Tony Romo. Just the way he talks to you and the way he handles everything around you. You know, that, that, that helped me. I'm a dude coming from the ghettos of Fort Lauderdale, and I'm sitting in a big boardroom trying to learn how to do business. And, and, and it's like, okay, don't take things personal. Learn how to deliver things. <laughs> Keep the room light. It's, it's just brilliant stuff that he does. And some of the tough times throughout my career, he stood up and taken bullets for me when everyone wants to make sure that they're not a part of the bullets. He didn't have to. He's the owner, like, but he would, he would do it at many different times. What really steamed me last night was what I heard from Jerry Jones daring to defend Tony Romo. Could we please see just a snippet of Jerry Jones daring to defend Tony Romo, please? Tony played the best game that I've ever seen him play in his career. Not only from the standpoint of how he executed, not only how he created plays, but his leadership. So proud of Romo. Romo uh, 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 basically substantiated any and everything on my personal chart that I've ever thought about. People are willing to put themselves in the mud with you and they don't have to, you don't see it in life very often. You definitely don't see it in the NFL. That just shows you, A, what he feels towards you, B, how much he cares about you, and then on top of it, just how much you know he wants to win and how badly he wants to do it with you. He feels a connection, and that's what makes you really you know, connect to him. I remember Jerry telling me one time in this room, he said, Michael, you know, when I look at you, I, I, I look at Michael Irvin and the Dallas Cowboys. It's kind of like Magic Johnson and the Lakers. He said, what is Magic without the Lakers? And, and, and what is the Lakers without Magic? He said, uh, you know, that's how I see us. He said, you know, we're going to be together forever. When Irvin was voted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2007, he asked Jones, who had stuck by him during troubled times, to present him at the induction ceremony. Michael Irvin, he's a friend. If you're in my shoes, you feel like it's a son. He's an inspirational and a natural barn leader. 
He's a loving father and husband. He's a wonderful brother and son. He's a Dallas Cowboy. Jerry's had some difficult times. When you sit with him, that's what he shares with you and brings about a connectivity because he'll share some of those values with you when you're sitting one-on-one with him, which makes you draw in and say, wow, you know, this dude is a lot like me. And and it inspires you. You say, if if you've gone through that and, and made it to where you are, okay, I can go through what I'm going through and get up myself. Jones's ability to understand and relate to people has come in handy not only in business deals, but also contract negotiations with players. I wanted to become the highest paid receiver. I'm sitting in the office talking with him, and, and Jerry Rice was the highest paid at the time. He had uh, uh, gotten uh, indignant like I taught him to get when he was negotiating. And so uh, he had uh, come into the office and he said, I just want to look at you face to face and uh, uh, discuss how far apart we are. And uh, I looked at him and I said, Michael, there's an old West Texas town, well known. It's called El Paso. And Jerry Jones is going through this whole story, this whole story about something that happened down in El Paso with his family and at this company and it happened in El Paso. It's said, yeah, this happened down in El Paso. Oh, about your offer, I Paso. I was like, this dude is crazy. I El Paso. We can't go this much. Well, he breaks out laughing and says, just give it to me and I'll sign it. <laughs> but I, I was laughing about it. I said, wait, wait, wait. so you took me through all of that to tell me no? From a business standpoint, the way he laid no upon me was brilliant. He said, uh, ultimately, he said, I'm going to put you right up under Jerry Rice. And then when you bring me them Super Bowls, we'll talk about all of that then. In 2006, heading into his fourth year as a backup, Romo was called into the head coach's office 20 minutes before the final preseason game. I walk in and Jerry's right there. He goes, Tony, come on over here. And Bill Parcells is right there, and Jerry Jones is right here. And Bill scoots in, and he puts the chair, like, right up next to where, like, our legs are touching each other. And they both lean in. And I'm thinking, what did I do to get in trouble? I don't know what just happened that I'm in there. And the room was so small that I could put my toes on the end of his toes. And I was about a foot from his nose with my face. And they go, we can't let you go out here and start and let every team across the league see you. And you go out there, you go out and play well or do something. I mean, we, we can't let that happen. We're not going to play you today. And we said, Tony, we think you'll go out here and light it up. If we don't have you signed, then uh, we won't have the opportunity to have you for years to come. And so we need you to sign the contract. Now, obviously, they're trying to strong army at the time, and that's why they're sitting, you know, Godfather style, about two inches away from my face. And to say it was intimidating would be an understatement. Jerry's like, so I think we got to do that. We make choices. We got to make what's in the best interest of the team. So what do you think? I said, from an organizational perspective, I think that's probably the right thing to do. But from my individual you know, perspective, I just want to play football. The money's not as big a deal to me. It really isn't. But I also understand that, you know, Mr. Jones, the more you financially commit to me, you'll feel the pain of not playing me because you've paid me. I just feel like 
I can understand your perspective. For mine, it's about playing football. And what gives me the best chance to play football is either to go somewhere else or for you to sign me to a deal that makes it worth your while to at least see what I got. He said, I love Drew Bledsoe, but I've got to get on the field. I've been here four years. He said, if you'll take that million dollars of incentives and make it firm, guaranteed, we'll have a deal. And I'll tell my agents, you don't need to even talk to them. I'll tell them that's what I want to do. I reached over and shook his hand and looked at him. And then Mr. Jones looks right over at Bill, kind of looks at me a little bit, looks back at Bill, and he goes, I think we got ourselves a quarterback. Jones's instinct proved right on the field with Romo, and perhaps the biggest decision of his ownership, firing legendary coach Tom Landry and replacing him with his old friend Jimmy Johnson. But a major brick on his road to Canton was the building of palatial AT&T Stadium. Right as we began construction, we went into one of the greatest financial crises this earth has ever been involved in. I say, gosh, after all these years, I've sat here and gotten right back in the cockpit with the devil. And uh, here we go. The final cost, $1.2 billion dollars, was a record for any pro sports stadium. Jerry's World opened in 2009, but he still beamed with pride as he recently hosted a management group from a local hospital, greeting each of them Hello there. with that customary Jones charm. How are you doing today? Well, thank you. I was a senior in college. Uh, my team was undefeated, and we ultimately won our bowl game, which was right out here at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. One day, our coach took us for a field trip, and he took us out to see the Astrodome. And the Astrodome was brand new. And I looked around, and I'm telling you, my mouth dropped. I first thought, what could it possibly ever be like to play in a place like this? And then immediately, I went to who could think of this? Who could ever have imagined? Where do you start? And I just sat there in amazement. I wouldn't have dreamed. I told you I was going to get emotional. 37 years later, that I would be sitting there thinking about what we're sitting in right now. Never dreamed it. When I thought about what you wanted people to say about it, there's one thing that I didn't have to think about. And that was, could I do it? I'd seen it done. I had touched it. I'd been there when I was 20 years old. That issue was out of the way. And consequently, what you're sitting in is a building that is six times that astronaut. Jones has been able to share his business acumen, much like his parents did with him, with his daughter, Charlotte, and sons, Jerry Jr. and Steven, who all hold executive positions with the Cowboys. What do you think is the biggest misconception about your dad? I just think they see him as this, uh, you know, omnipresent dictator, and that's the opposite of what he really is. Uh, he's a great leader. He likes to have very bright people around that challenge him. He loves to challenge and ask hard questions uh, to smart people. 
but he really wants to build a consensus. Usually the decisions that are made, and I think he'd be the first to tell you this, are ideas and are decisions that we make from a consensus. If there is one consensus in Dallas these days, 20-plus years has been too long between championships. With that in mind, the Riverboat Gambler has one more deal he'd like to make. When we played in our third Super Bowl, uh, I made a deal. And I said, if you'll let me have this third one, I'll never ask again. Well, I've been trying to retrade that deal for the, for the last 20 years and uh, can't get the trade done. But uh, if you could make a trade for it, then I would be pretty aggressive in what I would do to uh, uh, win a Super Bowl. How much would you give to win another <laughs> Super Bowl? Would I trade this complex for it? <laughs> and I think I've got over $500 million in this complex. But uh, if you will assure me that I can make the trade, then we'll come on in here and paper this thing up. Coming up, I sit down with Jim Trotter to talk about Jerry's World. But first, if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. If you like what you hear, make sure you're subscribed so we're easy to find next time. And if you subscribe in the ESPN app, we can send you an alert whenever we have a new episode. We'll be right back. Welcome back to SC Featured. I'm joined in studio now by Jim Trotter, who is the reporter on this Jerry Jones feature. What was the most surprising thing about Jerry? <laughs> How much time do we have? Tons. Um, you know, the most surprising thing to me about Jerry in this piece was was basically his humility to some degree, you know, his love of family and, and some of the misperceptions about him. Because you see this image out there of Jerry. He's loud, he's boisterous, he's controversial, all these different things. And when we sat down with him during the course of our, our interviews, we saw all of that. But we also saw an understated, pensive guy who was very reflective about his place in this game and what he's done to this point. And to me, that was... um you know, really a strong takeaway for me, his love of family, his, the importance of relationships, and really the foundation that his parents laid for him in terms of impacting everything he does today. There's a lot of things to unpack there, but let's begin with the perception of him. What is his opinion of what people think of him? I'm not sure he spends a lot of time thinking about that. Um, he is who he is, and he's very comfortable with who he is. It's when you talk to people around him about the misperceptions about Jerry that, that you know, it becomes pretty striking. Like when you talk to Stephen Jones, his son, and Stephen says everybody thinks that Jerry's a dictator. And I found that interesting, too, that, that Stephen would call his dad Jerry. You know, every now and then he would say dad, but for the most part it was Jerry. And, you know, because I've never referred to my dad by his first name, so that was kind of different for me to get used to. But, you know, he said that, that, that everyone assumes that Jerry is a dictator, and he said that's not the case at all. He said what he will do is he will take input from everyone. And he will listen to their viewpoints, and and then he will make a decision about it. He simply doesn't go into he doesn't go into a project or um, some sort of business venture saying I have all the answers up front. You know, he listens to everyone. Um, he weighs the pros and cons, and then he makes a decision. So I thought that that was very telling for Jerry. He doesn't spend a lot of time thinking about what what other folks think. He he believes in what he does. He believes in who he is, and. I believe that that a big part of him believes that he has the enthusiasm, the energy, and the intensity 
to make others believe what he believes. And a lot of that comes from his upbringing. One thing that I found very interesting was the perception exists that he does not admit to mistakes, that there's a recklessness to him. And yet he said to you that he certainly has failed and he had notebooks full of his failure. What did you make of that reflection? He will tell you that you have to take risk to be successful and you have to believe in yourself even when others don't. And maybe you don't always necessarily believe fully in what you're doing, but you have to go after it 100 percent. And that's who he is and everything he does. You know, it was interesting where he said where he bought, when he bought the Cowboys, he was dancing with the financial devil because he had put everything he owned into it. And during those early years, he said they were losing a million dollars a month. And there was a struggle. And he had told himself once he got past that, that he would never dance with the financial devil again. And then what did he do? He decided to build the biggest, most elaborate, lavish stadium in pro football history. And he did it at a time where right after he started, the financial markets collapsed. And now, as he says, he's right back in the cockpit with the financial devil. And he stretched himself out again. And for me, I'm always fascinated by people who are great at what they do in their profession. Because I, I like to know what makes them tick. Why do, what do they see differently that we don't see? Why do they pursue things the way that they do? And with Jerry, you could see that, that there's this passion to always go to the next level where he starts thinking about as an adult, where he goes to Madison Square Garden for the first time, and he sees Elvis Presley play, and he's sitting up in the, in the rafters, and he gets to Madison Square Garden, and he, and he understands that that building is not just about a venue for events. It's sort of its own, its own unique place. It's iconic. And so when he landed in New York, the first thing he did is he had the cab take him to Yankee Stadium so that he could touch Yankee Stadium. It was almost as if he was feeling the soul of the stadium, you know, the soul connecting with Mickey Mantle, with Joe DiMaggio, these folks. And he got emotional about it. And then he talked about doing the same thing with Madison Square Garden. And so when he set out to build AT&T Stadium, that's what he wanted, a building that would not only house events but would inspire the next generation. You know, and that's what he's all about. When you look at the, at the training facility he's building now out in Frisco, Texas, the star, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. You know, when you walk into it, it's almost like an art gallery versus a football training complex. But that's Jerry. That's what he does. It's always got to be bigger than life. And, and, you know, you ask him, you say, what's next? You know, um, when do you stop taking those risks? When do you stop dancing with the financial devil? And he will tell you he doesn't know. You know, it's he says he likes to surround himself with young people because they inspire him. And he sees them when he looks in the mirror. So he never wants to be that guy that sits back and rests on his laurels. He always wants to push forward. And that's the other thing that Stephen talked about with the misperceptions. Everybody thinks Jerry's just about the money. Jerry's about the deal, too. He's about doing what people say can't be done. He's about trying to improve, let's say, the NFL as a whole and not just the Dallas Cowboy brand. And early on, he got a lot of pushback on that when he first joined the league. But now it's interesting. All those owners or some of those owners who fought against him early on now turn to him when the league has a big decision to make. And so when you look at franchise relocation, Jerry's fingerprints are all over these franchises that have moved in the last two years. He's the one that basically cut the deal for the Rams to go to, to from St. Louis to L.A. You know, he's the one that set it up for the Raiders to go from Oakland to Las Vegas and gave the Chargers the out to go to L.A. even after they lost that vote. So, you know, it's not a stretch to say the NFL wouldn't be what it is today in terms of popularity 
and being so lucrative without Jerry Jones. Let's talk about his family because they play a big role in this. You mentioned the fact that his children are affiliated with the Cowboys and that he learned so much of his business acumen from his father and mother. Were you surprised at how in touch he was with the family connection? Uh, I, I had heard some of the stories, but I had never sat down and talked with Jerry about it. And that's the first thing that he brings up when you ask him about being in the position he is today. He takes it all the way back to North Little Rock, Arkansas, and sitting around the family dinner table with his parents who were entrepreneurs. They owned a grocery store, and later his father owned an insurance company. And he talks about all the lessons he learned there. And, you know, in, in typical Jerry style, you know, he, he has, you know, very colloquial and, you know, he spins these great tales and he talks about his little ears perking up, you know, at the things that he heard about how to manage a payroll, you know, how to buy um, products, you know, all these different things. But more than anything, I think from his parents, he learned about the importance of relationships and connecting with people. It's not necessarily about what you do. It's, it's more important in how you do it. And and if you look at Jerry today, everything that he does, it is about relationships. It is about being able to connect to people. And that's something he learned from from his family. And, and I asked him at one point, did you ever push back against your father? Because they had Jerry out greeting customers as they came into the store. He would push cards. He'd be in a little bow tie, all these different things. And I said, did you ever push back as young people or, or want to do? And he said, there may have been a little of that. But he said, what my parents were teaching me were work ethic. And he said, you know, I've never regretted that. And so, again, if you follow his life, everything comes back. The roots all go back to North Little Rock and the, the family dinner table above their store where he learned all those lessons and he applies it to his life and his business today. You talk about the importance of relationships for Jerry, and now he has opened up the possibility for Jimmy Johnson to potentially go into the ring of honor, something he was staunchly <laughs> against as Just recent as ago. a few years ago. Right. So what has changed? You know, I, I think in talking to people around Jerry, Jerry says they had a 25-year Super Bowl reunion. And at that meeting, you know, or at that gathering, he spent some time with Jimmy. And, and because my thing is I ask him, what's your relationship like now? Because I wanted to see if it had evolved at all. And essentially he said they're in a good place. And that led to the question of, well, if you're in a good place, when can we see or will we see Jimmy in the ring of honor? And instead of slamming the door as he had done two years ago when a profile was done on him, he basically cracked that door. Now, it doesn't mean Jimmy's going in this year or something along those lines, but the fact that he didn't slam the door again I thought was very telling. And what I was told is that, look, you know, Jimmy was a big part of the success with the Cowboys, no question. Um, and Jimmy has an ego, and Jerry has an ego. They're both very competitive. They're former teammates. And so a lot of times when you're younger, and I understand that when he bought the team, when I say younger, you're in your 40s, that, you know, that ego, you want credit. And you believe that maybe you were more important than someone else. But I think Jerry's e evolving. And I think as you get older and you start to step back and you look at your place, you feel more secure, particularly now going into the Hall of Fame. You know, his legacy is established now. Um, no one can take that from you. And so maybe you feel a little more comfortable in yourself to say, I can share the credit even more, even with someone that, that I'm competing against, that sort of thing. And to me, that's where you want to get in life when you get older. Okay, but some of the criticism of Jerry Jones is that he is willing to do just about anything 
in order to achieve that. Some of the questionable players that he has signed, some of the moves he has made, some of the defenses he has put out there for those moves indicate that he he may be kind of a a win-at-all-cost type of thing. Did you see that? Absolutely. Jerry doesn't run from that. He'll tell you he grades on a curve. And the more talent you have, the more tolerance he has for your missteps off the field. He doesn't run from that. Now, in his mind, what he is telling himself, whether he's deluding himself or not, that's for him to decide. But he's saying that young people make mistakes, and I made mistakes as a young person. So I want to give them an opportunity you know, to try and improve themselves. And by improving themselves, it improves everyone around them. Now, the reality is, if you don't have the talent of a Des Bryant or a Michael Irvin or someone else or a Greg Hardy or, or a Rolando McClain, these people that he brought in, um, he's not taking that chance on you. And we saw that this week with them getting rid of Lucky Whitehead. If Lucky had been Des Bryant or had Des Bryant's talent, let's say, he'd still be on the Cowboys right now. But Jerry's unapologetic about that if you listen to him. He grades on a curve, and if you have talent, he's going to be more tolerant. If he doesn't get that fourth Super Bowl, what will his legacy be? You've said that it's set, or he believes at least that it's set. What will it be? For me, it's that the NFL would not be what it is today without Jerry Jones. You have to understand, when he came into the league, I I, I always say this, he made the NFL grow up faster than it wanted to. And by that I mean when he came in, the NFL was used to doing things a certain way. So, for instance, at the time that he came in shortly after, one of the networks started crying that they were losing money and they wanted rebates from the NFL. Well, the commissioner and some other old guard owners were willing to give the network rebates in exchange for an extension on the deal. Well, Jerry said, no, that's not what we're doing. We got a product here that will sell. And he led a group of other owners that fought the commissioner on that and fought him successfully. To the point that the commissioner, Paul Tagliabue, at that time said, look, Jerry, you think you know it all. We're going to put you on the TV committee. And now you're going to have to go out and do these deals and bring in, you know, other folks. And he did. He brought in another network. And TV rights since then have skyrocketed on every contract. The league also had a way of doing its sponsorship and marketing agreements. And it was basically one for all, et cetera. And they were dealing with Coke. Well, Jerry wanted to do a deal with Pepsi. And the league fought him on that. It fought him on, 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 on player apparel rights. Um, he won. And because he won, revenues in the league increased exponentially. So when you look at that from a standpoint of, of, of the revenue that the NFL produces and the popularity of this game, they all tie back to Jerry Jones. And so that's why I say from my standpoint, his legacy is set in this league, and that's why he's so deserving to be in the Hall of Fame because the NFL would not be what it is today without him. Now, on the field, excuse me, he's won three Super Bowls. Now, we can say that was all Jimmy Johnson, but Jerry Jones was a part of that. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so important to him to get a fourth one, because I think he wants to show that he can win one without Jimmy's influence. And I think if he does do that, I think it further helps his relationship with Jimmy from the standpoint now I don't know that he would feel he's competing with Jimmy anymore. Now he's sort of in that small um, area, his own man. He's done it. You know, Jimmy was not the guy. So I say Jerry's legacy is, is firmly established. And in fact, I went back for the piece and interviewed one of the original owner, or not one of the original owners, but one of the owners at that time when Jerry came into the league. And that was Eddie DeBartolo, the 49ers. 
And as you know, Eddie is the only individual owner to win five Super Bowls. And when I ask him about Jerry Jones, the one thing he says is that every owner in the NFL today owes a debt of gratitude to Jerry Jones. And he said, that's Robert Kraft. That's uh, Danny Snyder. That's everyone. Because Jerry Jones, from a business standpoint, made this league better in terms of revenues and in terms of popularity. Jim Trotter, ESPN reporter on Jerry's World. Thank you so much for joining me. We'd like to thank Jerry Jones for letting us tag along on his chopper and Jim Trotter for his excellent reporting. This episode was produced by Jeff Asiello with Dominique Goodridge providing field producing. Steve McCarthy is the editor. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Jen Latta.